This is the Chapel of DBTS. Be sure to subscribe and listen to the Chapel messages weekly. And for more info, please go to dbts.edu. And now today's message. Well, it's good to be with you guys this morning. I'm glad to be here, and uh, there are many connections, that's for sure. Um, And I was thinking about it this week, and I'm just really uh, appreciative of the ministry here um, over the long term. Um, Obviously, there's there's a lot of family connections. Uh, My wife, Bethany, was raised here up until she was 16 years old, and um, so I'm thankful for uh, Pastor Doran in particular and just the consistent, faithful exposition of the Word um, that my wife and her family received, and she in particular received in her early years. I mean, that's her baseline for preaching and exposition is is what the way it's done here. And so um, that has built into her uh, a hermeneutic, a way of seeing the world, uh, a way of understanding the scriptures and expectation of how the word should be preached, that sometimes she'll <laughs> we'll be interacting about some situation or um, something someone said theologically at church in a women's Bible study or something, and my wife will go, I don't even understand how they come to that. And I'm like, listen, you have consistently gone to churches where God's word has been preached the right way. And so your expectations and your theological disposition are very different from most people's. And so be thankful for that. And so I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that she's been raised like that. And it impacts our marriage. It impacts our parenting. um, It impacts her ministry now. So that's why... You guys are being trained to do exposition in that way. Um, You won't even realize the impact that it will have in people's lives over the long term. And that's how God builds his church, is through long-term, faithful exposition of God's word. Uh, And so be appreciative of what you're getting here. Uh, Faithful preaching is vital, um, but at no time, I think, has has faithful listening, the other side of that, been more difficult than right now in the church. Uh, For people who show up on Sundays, they are being trained during the week to not listen well at all. I read recently that the average attention span of a human being is now less than that of a goldfish. I really don't know how they came to that conclusion, what methodology was used to get there, uh, but that's pretty fantastic. I want to be involved in that research to some level, right? But the average attention span of a goldfish is eight seconds, and apparently people have been steadily decreasing in their ability to focus on something and to listen over the past decades. And um, that's, that's scary for those of us who stand up and speak for 40, 45, 50 minutes on a Sunday. People are being trained to skim information during the week at a very surface level. And they're doing, it's, it's happening to people through, through social media, of course, through cable news. Um, And through just the frenetic pace of life, we are being trained in our lives to skim information at a very surface level. And so the way we're being shaped during the week impacts how people come to the Word of God on Sunday mornings and their ability to sustain uh, listening to the Word of God. Um, The thing about that that's scary is that faith requires attentiveness. It requires the ability to focus and to listen to the Word of God. And the, the attack of the broader culture on our ability to listen is an end-around attack on our faith. It damages our ability to build faith into people over the long term. 
And so it's something we should be concerned about. Without the ability to practice sustained attentiveness, you can't listen to God's word. And you guys know what Romans says. Without the ability to listen, there can't be faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so it's important that we listen attentively to God's word. And so that's what I want to help us with this morning. So get your Bibles out, open them up to Mark chapter 4. I want to help you learn to listen well while you're in seminary. And while you're in seminary, you are constantly exposed to the Word of God. I mean, you guys just came from class. You're reading the scriptures. You're learning the original languages. You're studying theology. You're constantly exposed to the Word of God. You're sitting in church on Sunday listening to preaching. And so I want to help you learn to maximize the impact of the Word while you're in seminary. But I also want to press the urgency of faithful preaching on you because of the importance of the Word of God's impact on people's lives and the importance of listening well for people who are, who are in the pews or in the chairs on Sunday morning. So Mark chapter 4, we're going to study this very familiar parable. You know this parable. You've, you've interacted with this before, I'm sure, but hopefully we'll look at it with some fresh insight and uh, the Spirit will provide some illumination on your hearts this morning. Now, just a little bit of context here. The Gospel of Mark begins by jumping right into the Galilean ministry of Jesus. There's no birth narrative. Um, there's, there's no discussion of his birth. We just jump right into his Galilean ministry. It's very fast-paced. And if you look back at Mark chapter 1, you get kind of a summary of what was happening in Mark 1 and verses 14 and 15. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. And so the good news of the gospel is that God's rule and reign is being inaugurated. It's breaking in through the ministry of Jesus. And in light of that, people should repent and they should trust and believe in that good news. And so that's the summary of what his teaching is going to be about. And after that, you get this tour de force in the first few chapters of Mark of Jesus preaching and going around and doing healing and exorcisms And the preaching is about the kingdom and the healing and the exorcisms are ways of showing what the kingdom is like, enacting the kingdom for people. This is the way it should be. The world has been broken and God's rule and reign is going to make things right and restore things to the way that they should be. It's a it's a little look at what the kingdom will be like through the miracles of Jesus. They're not just demonstrations of his power. They're enacting the kingdom in people's lives and showing us what it'll be like. And so as you see that happen and as Jesus uh, interacts with people and preaches and performs miracles and exorcisms, you start to see in the first three chapters these different groups of people, these different characters within the story of Mark, they're responding to his ministry. And it's fascinating to see the way in which the different groups respond. The crowds, you consistently see the crowds interacting with Jesus and they're fascinated by him. They're not necessarily believing, but they're curious, and they're fascinated by his ministry. They want to be around him. The disciples, of course, are willingly following him, but as you'll see in the narrative of Mark and the story, they're slightly confused as to what is happening, and they don't really get it. You'll even see that in our passage today. Obviously, Jesus performs exorcisms, and the demons are cast out of people, and they know exactly who he is, and they're terrified by him appropriately enough. And then the religious leaders, Mark chapter 2 and then beginning of chapter 3, 
show all these uh, interactions between Jesus and the religious leaders, and they, they show up to argue with him and to prove him wrong. And so there's, there's all these different reactions, and as you're reading through, through the first three chapters of Mark, it's like the first day of basketball practice when you're doing wind spreads. I mean, you get to the end of those chapters, and if you read them in one shot, you're almost exhausted when you get to the end of it. And so then you get to Mark chapter 4, and here you have the first block, big block of Jesus' teaching. And it's almost like Mark presses the pause button and calls time out and says, okay, now here we're going to explain what you've just seen. You've seen people interact with Jesus and respond to him. Now here's what's really going on behind the scenes. And so he puts this parable here of the sower or the soils, as we're going to see this morning, in this point at the, in his narrative. And I think what he's doing is he wants us to grasp the real reason behind people's different reactions. What's going on? And this passage is a call to us as the readers to listen and to hear and to respond appropriately to God's word. We've seen different reactions. Now you, as the reader, respond appropriately to God's word. And so this morning, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to show you four ways to ensure a proper response to God's word. Four ways to ensure a proper response to God's word. And the first one of these is in verses 1 through 9, and this is listen. Each of these ways is one word. It's a command, but the first one of these is listen. So when you get to Mark chapter 4, look at verse 1 here. It looks like it's going to be just another story. It even starts with the word again. Again, he began to teach beside the sea. This is the type of thing Jesus has been doing in the narrative. This is what we've come to expect continue reading a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat sat in it on the sea and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land so this looks very typical very normal this is what he does but notice when you get to verse two now there's a new or a different type of teaching that is coming to the people that has not been mentioned yet in mark look at verse two and he was teaching them many things in parables now people often think of parables You get that standard definition, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Well, that won't do. When you see how Jesus understands parables and why he uses parables, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning simply won't do biblically. We tend to think of parables as common illustrations meant to make the truth clearer. And in reality, Jesus uses parables often not to make the truth clearer, but to actually hide and obscure the truth from people. Now, that seems pretty dramatic, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes, but that's what's going on here. But look at Jesus' parable first, beginning in verse 3. I'm sure you're familiar with this parable. At this point, as he tells it, it's just an agricultural story. There's no spiritual explanation. Um... There's no spiritual truths. It's just a story. So I'm going to read the whole thing in one pop. I'm not going to talk about the farming background to each of these types of uh, soils and seed, although you could do that. That's fine. But I want to kind of move through this quickly, and I'm going to make a couple observations after we're done reading it. But let me read it to you. Verse 3, listen. Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. 
and other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. A couple things to notice about this. In my Bible, I'm reading out of the ESV, in my Bible it says the parable of the sower. I don't think that's the best title for this because it's not really about the sower. It's about the soil. The whole thing is about the different types of soil that the seed falls into. The structure is very simple to this. Jesus gives us four different types of soil. He tells us where the seed lands and the corresponding result for each type of soil is given. Everyone is structured the same. But here's what I want you to notice. Notice how this parable begins and notice how it ends. Look at verse 3, the very first word. What does he say? Listen. It's a command. And then look at the end in verse 9. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He begins with a command. Listen, this is not just telling you to let the sound pass over your eardrums and to hear the words that are being said. This is a command to listen attentively and to listen carefully. This is vital information, this story that I'm about to tell you. It's more than just an agricultural story. And then he ends in verse 9 by saying, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. If you're able to hear, and not everyone is able to hear, if you're able to hear, you must listen carefully. What Jesus is doing in giving this story, it's just a story at this point, is he's putting the responsibility with you, the listener. It's squarely on you. You have to evaluate. You have to think carefully. You have to enter into the metaphor that's being given here as you're listening. And so obeying these commands, listen, and he who has ears to hear, let him hear. This means coming to the word of God prepared. This means coming ready to listen. This is a baseline action. When you come to the word of God, it's our first way to ensure a proper response. You have to come ready, you have to come geared up, and you have to come willing to listen to the word. In some ways, preaching is a team sport. I mean, the pastor prepares and spends all this time studying the text and structuring his sermon so that it's clear to people and making application for the hearers to listen to the word That's his job. But on the other side, there are people, you this morning, who are tasked with listening attentively to God's word. I have to explain it correctly and you have to listen and hear it and apply it correctly and let it change you. That's what listening means. Charles Spurgeon said this about the hearer's responsibility. Listen to this. We are told men ought not to preach without preparation. Granted. But we add, men ought not to hear without preparation. Which do you think needs the most preparation, the sower or the ground? I would have the sower come with clean hands, but I would have the ground well plowed and harrowed, well turned over, and the clods broken before the seed comes in. It seems to me that there is more preparation needed by the ground than by the sower, more by the hearer than by the preacher. When I preached this text in my church down in Woodhaven, I said, I spend, whatever, 10, 15 hours a week studying to prepare. How many hours do you prepare to listen to the Word of God? And I can't stress how important this is for you in training for ministry. Cultivate your heart now to listen attentively to 
the Word of God in whatever venue you're getting the Word of God. And this is the first way to ensure a proper response to God's Word. Listen well, intentionally. That brings us to our second way to ensure a proper response. This is in verses 10 to 13. So listen, and then secondly, receive. Receive the Word. Look at verse 10. He gives the parable in verses 3 to 9, and then verse 10, and when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. So they don't understand. So there's some people with the disciples. They don't get it. It's just a story at this point. They've been told they need to listen, and they don't understand it. So I think they come to Jesus in faith. They're not getting it. Faith seeking understanding, and they want to get a further explanation of what's going on here. Look what Jesus says to them at the beginning of verse 11. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. This response of faith, of seeking understanding, receives an answer. And the understanding that they receive is a gift from God. They have been given to receive the secret of the kingdom. Now, the secret of the kingdom, I think, involves God's plans for Jesus Christ, salvation that comes through him. And to receive this, it means coming to God's word on God's terms. And it means humbly placing myself into the framework that is depicted in Scripture and putting myself under the world that is presented by the story of the parable here, but by the word of God overall. And so you can see in this whole passage, when the disciples come to him, I think in faith here, Probably not a fully formed faith, as you see in the Gospel of Mark, but they're trying to understand. Jesus explains this parable to them in verses 14 through 20, and we'll get to that later on. So faith-seeking understanding, they receive the word, and they're given understanding, but what about those people who walked away? I mean, in verse 10, those around him with the twelve, some people came, but apparently not everyone came. Look at the rest of verse 11, and this is where things start to get a little sticky particularly if you're an Arminian. Uh-oh. Verse 11. To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables. Parables are like the sun. They will harden clay and they will melt wax. That's how they work. They're intended to bring the truths of the kingdom to people who are believing, who are trusting, who place themselves in the parable and humbly put themselves under God's word. But parables are also intended to harden people who are not willing to listen carefully and who are not willing to place themselves under God's word. Look at verse 12. So that, here's the purpose of parables coming to people outside. So that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Jesus says pretty clearly here, the goal of parables, one of the goals is that people would hear and would not grasp, that they wouldn't get it. It's why he preaches in parables. Those are harsh words. I mean, is that really their purpose for parables? To get the answer to that, I hope you notice in verse 12, it's a quote from the Old Testament. Anytime you see this, you've got to go back and check out the context of what's happening. This is a quote from a number of places in the Old Testament, but in particular, this, this, this type of idea is from a number of places in the Old Testament. But this quote in particular is from Isaiah 
chapter 6. And you know what's in Isaiah chapter 6. It's Isaiah's call to ministry. It's that whole throne room scene. And you get to the point where Isaiah is commissioned for ministry and God tells him what his ministry is going to be like. Do you remember this? I'll read it to you. Verse 8, Isaiah 6. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and say to this people, Here's what Isaiah's ministry is going to be like. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. And here's the result. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Isaiah was to preach to harden the people of Israel. Why in the world? Why was he supposed to do that? Well, Isaiah 6 comes after Isaiah 1 through 5. And if you go back this afternoon and read through Isaiah chapters 1 through 5, it is a catalog of idolatry and wickedness and rebellion against God. And what is happening there is God is telling Isaiah, look, based on the commands in Deuteronomy for the people going into the land, here is all the ways that they have failed in that, particularly the leadership of Israel. And so because of their consistent failure and their rejection of me and their inability to listen to my word and remember it, I'm going to harden them through your ministry and it's going to result in exile. That's the end game here. Now, why does Jesus quote that? Because that's the exact same situation that he came into. The leadership of Israel will reject him. They will not listen and they will continue to not listen and reject him and ultimately In the beauty of God's design, that will result in his death, according to God's plan. But what's the difference here between those who've been given the secret of the kingdom and between those who are outside who don't understand the parables? What's the difference between the two? It's the soil of your heart. That's the whole point of this parable. That's why Jesus tells this parable here. And that's not often how we think about parables, is it? We don't think about parables as a dividing line. If you enter into this parable and believe and trust and give yourself to the story world that it presents, then you understand. But if you don't, if you reject it and if you arrogantly put yourself over Scripture and don't listen carefully and submit to the Word of God, then you end up hardened. Look at verse 13. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables. In other words, the parable of the soils is a parable about how to understand parables. <laughs> That's what this is. It's explaining how parables are going to function within the ministry of Jesus Christ and ultimately how the word of God is going to function within his ministry. And so you must receive, which means accepting the world presented by these parables. It means recognizing that you are the prodigal son or you are the older brother. There's a beautiful example of this in Mark chapter 7, and we don't have time to go there. But the woman, the Gentile woman, Jesus says the bread is for the the children, the dogs are on the outside, and she enters into that parable and accepts what Jesus is saying and says, yes, but the crumbs are for the dogs under the table. And Jesus responds very positively to her and heals her daughter. That's an example of responding correctly to a parable that Jesus presents. 
And so what this means for us is that we have to come to God's word with our glove positioned, ready to receive. Our disposition is to put ourselves under the word and receive what is being given to us, even if it's difficult. And that brings us to our third way to ensure a proper response. So listen, receive, and then thirdly, reject. You have to put some things aside if you're going to hear the word of God appropriately. Reject. This is in verses 14 to 19. So here, Jesus explains the parable for them. He's trying to help them along in their infantile faith, I think, at this point in the narrative of Mark. But he gives them a clear explanation in verses 14 to 20. Look at verse 14. The sower sows the word. So here's the root issue in this whole thing. It's the word of God. This whole story is about a proper response to the word of God. It's how you respond when God speaks. And so now Jesus goes on to explain the story that he's given in verses 3 to 9. And he walks the disciples back through all four of those types of soils. And if you're reading through this, it's structured in the same way. Every single one of the soils is structured in the exact same way. So first you have the type is defined. You see example verse 15. These are the ones along the path where the word is sown. Okay, so the type is defined. And then you'll notice in every single one, the point is made that they do hear. They hear to some level, some surface level, they hear the word of God. They get it to some level, they hear. And then each of these types of soils, after they hear, the response or the result is given for each type of soil. And so the point is not so much that you hear, it's how you hear that brings about the result in each of these cases. And so he starts in verse 15 with this first type of soil, and he gives three faulty ways of listening. So these are the ways of listening that you and I have to reject when we come to God's word. So we listen, we receive, and then we reject these ways of listening. I'm going to look really briefly at these. You could go into a lot more detail on them, but let's look briefly at these three faulty ways of listening. Verse 15. These are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. This is the hard soil or the path that Satan comes and snatches away. In Mark, the Pharisees are described as having hardened hearts. And even Peter is talked about as doing the work of Satan in Mark chapter 8. And I think the reason for that is because he had his own agenda. And so I think a hardened heart or a failure to listen because of a hardened heart is because you have your own personal agenda when you come to the Word of God. And the picture that I'm thinking about here, it's like trying to push a thumbtack into granite. It's not going to go in. It's not going to work. It's not going to impact your life because you have your own agenda when you come to the Word. The second one is the shallow soil in verses 16 and 17. These are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. In this case, there's a reaction to it. They respond with initial joy to the word, but any difficulty in life, anything that's tough, causes them to doubt the truthfulness of God's word. They reject the word 
because of difficulties. They say things like, how can God's word be true when life is this hard, when things aren't going as I thought they would go? And so they end up not listening carefully to the word because of difficulties. And the third type is in verses 18 and 19. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. So in this case, the seed grows, but it doesn't bear any fruit. Why? Well, he gives three reasons there for why it doesn't bear fruit. Verse 19 has all of them. The cares of this world. Those are very real, very good responsibilities in our lives. These are good things, but they choke out the word and they keep us from giving our full attention to God's word. Secondly, the deceitfulness of riches. Riches promise satisfaction and security And that promise of those things through wealth can keep us from believing and trusting in the word. Instead, we give our satisfaction to material things and to riches. And that can be for someone who has a lot or someone who has a little. It's no partiality with the deceitfulness of riches. Third, the desire for other things enters in and chokes out the word. Desires are not inherently bad. In fact, You are made as a person who fundamentally desires. That's what drives you. That's what dictates everything that you do. You cannot help but be a person who desires. And a desire can be good or bad depending on what it is aimed at. Your heart is like a desire pump that's constantly pumping out wants. And the direction that that is aimed at is what determines whether it's a good want or a bad want. And here, these wants impact Someone's listening to the word of God to the point where they don't bear fruit as a result. Their desires shape them to the point where they don't hear God's word. So these are the faulty ways of listening. How can we avoid these? Or how can we describe these faulty ways of listening? I would say these three are all shallow ways of listening to the word. And ultimately, these are all dispositions of the heart. These are approaches to listening to the word that become very normal for us even as believers. And if you think about these three dispositions or um, positions that people put themselves in, to use that glove illustration earlier, this is like a catcher with his back to the pitcher. He's not ready at all to receive the pitch. He's not positioned at all to hear the word. Other things have come in and clouded out his ability to listen. So how do we avoid being faulty hearers? That's our last way to respond. So we listen, we receive, we reject faulty ways of listening and responding. And lastly, in verse 20, we obey. Verse 20, but those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word. Notice the difference here, right? They hear the word, but something else happens in them when they hear the word. They hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. In many ways, this is a natural process, right? This is what happens agriculturally, unless it's me trying to grow things in my yard, right? Good trees bear good fruit. 
But here the response is different. They hear, they accept, and they bear fruit. This goes beyond a casual encounter with God's word. It's not just a simple hearing of God's word. They listen intently and they accept it. They put themselves under the word and say, that is the right view of reality, and I'm going to shape my life to match up with that view of reality. And when you do that and you accept it and you bear fruit, it puts you in a feedback loop where now your obedience begets better listening next time. And it becomes a habit in your life where you listen well, you accept it, you obey, and then you continue to do that in the right direction. That's how we work as human beings. I recently read um, Richard Hayes, uh, his book on New Testament ethics. I'm doing some reading on ethics right now. It's kind of an interesting topic for me. So I read this big old book on ethics and he goes on for, it's four or 500 pages long, and he goes on for hundreds of pages about how we make ethical decisions. And he goes through all these examples, and uh, it's about the hermeneutics of ethics and all this stuff. And at the conclusion of the book, he begins, after hundreds of pages of this discussion, he gets to the conclusion, and he begins the conclusion with this paragraph. And this struck me. There is always the danger that in our complex hermeneutical deliberations about New Testament ethics, we might construct an elaborate system of rationalizations that simply justify the way we already live our lives. And I read that and it struck me, that is what we do so often, don't we? We justify the way we already live our lives. We don't come to the Word and put ourselves under it. We come to the Word and we think, I'm doing okay. I'm living appropriately. We justify the way we already live our lives. In other words, the greatest danger in listening to God's word is that you and I will not change when we listen and hear God's word. The greatest danger is that we won't submit the structure of our lives, our lifestyle, our desires, our goals, our ambitions. We won't submit all of that to God's explanation of reality found in the Bible. We won't shape our lives by that. Instead, we'll just justify the way we already live. The danger for you is that you will sit in class after class in seminary and you will be able to tear apart the new perspective on Paul and then you'll go home at night and you'll look at pornography. It's devastating. And that danger is particularly acute for professional students of God's Word. Those who look at the book all the time. We give our lives to it. But when we do this, we are putting ourselves on the line where the constant exposure to the light of God's word can either harden us or soften us, depending on the soil of our hearts. So what do you do? Make sure, by God's grace, that you have the right soil in your heart. How do you do that? You enter into this feedback loop here. You listen, you receive, you reject, and you obey, and you enter into that, and it begets better listening and better receiving and better rejecting and better obeying in your life. And ultimately, you let the piercing fire of God's word melt your heart like wax. You accept God's word for what it is, not the word of men, but the authoritative word of God. And it burns away sinful patterns of thinking, and of living so that you can walk in obedience. That's what Jesus is calling us to here. That's what he wants for us as we listen to the word of God. And so that's my prayer and desire for you guys and for myself 
as well. Let's pray. God, none of this is possible without your grace. We can't conjure up the right understanding of your word. We can't force ourselves to obey in a way that is honoring and pleasing to you. All of this is only possible through your gracious goodness. The secret of the kingdom is given to us by your by your kindness, Lord. And so I do pray for these guys in here. I pray that you and your word would work on their hearts. I pray that you would shape our living and our wanting and our thinking to be determined by your word and not by the way we already live our lives, not by what is natural to us as Americans, as middle-class citizens, whatever it may be, Lord, help us to have our thinking and our wanting shaped by your word and not our own thinking. And then I pray that we would, we would think correctly and we would go out and we would obey and we would produce fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. Give these guys a good rest of the day. I pray that their learning would go well and that they would be able to use what they learn in fruitful ministry in your church, Father. We love you. Thank you for listening to the DBTS Chapel Hour. DBTS is a ministry of Intercity Baptist Church. To find out more about Detroit Baptist Theological Seminary, please go to dbts.edu.